This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've recently been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm your co-host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small, and our team of experts show you how to consume and shop responsibly by recommending world-changing products, brands, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the world-changing goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Diamond Nexus. They say that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but are they really the planets? With Valentine's Day coming up, we're excited to recommend a sparkly and ethical option. Diamond Nexus creates gorgeous, lab-created diamond simulates that cost up to 80% less than mine diamonds, so you can wear a guilt-free statement piece the next time you're out on the town. Good Together listeners can get an additional 5% off ethically made lab-created diamond simulates with code GOOD5 at diamondnexus.com slash goodtogether. When you think of Valentine's Day, you most likely think of one of three types of gifts, chocolate, jewelry, or flowers. All three options appeal to different folks, and all three items have various levels of impact on the environment and the planet. Most of us have heard about the questionable ethics in the global supply chain, but your choice to gift a potted plant rather than fresh-cut roses from South America makes a bigger difference than you might think. As always, the conversation we have is designed to pique your curiosity and prompt you to pause before your next purchase. Fear not, Casanovas, because we've got the perfect gift recommendations ahead for you and your sweetheart. Hey, Lisa, how's it going? Hey, Laura, how are you? Happy weekend and almost Valentine's Day. It is almost Valentine's Day. I don't think my I... husband is prepared for Valentine's Day. Like, <laughs> like, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, man. You know, my husband does a decent job in terms of that. But I mean, he and I are very much, we're very millennial. Like, we very much like to spend money on experiences yeah. and all that type of thing. So he'll occasionally get me flowers. Um, but we try not to make a big deal out of it. But I think... Mm-hmm. Really, one of the reasons why we wanted to get this episode out there was because we just keep having more and more questions. I mean, as this podcast grows, which we're so thankful for, um, we get new questions in our inbox, in our Instagram DMs every day. And I think people have a lot of questions around how to make sure they are you know, participating in holidays like they normally do because they love to, you know, their loved ones expect it but they also want to make sure that they're doing right by the planet. So we're, you know, I think Valentine's Day is a great way to kind of get in there. 
Yeah, so my favorite stats as usual. Um, Valentine's Day is actually pretty big. I didn't realize how big it is in, in terms of consumer spending. Uh, last year, Amer in the US alone, we spent over $20 billion on Valentine's Day gifts. And this year, it's actually expected to grow to $27 billion, 30, 32% growth. It's huge. And on average, consumers are planning to spend almost $200, $196. Per, per person it's huge right that's a lot that yeah, that is a lot, lot for sure so that's that's how important this episode so um hopefully you haven't bought the gifts yet if you're just starting to think that's okay and we got you uh this episode <laughs> will be packed with uh actionable tips for you uh in terms of how you can make a valentine's day just more ethical yeah and i mean along the lines of people asking us questions yep. um we had one of our brightly scouts laura byler who actually asked us a few questions about chocolate because i think chocolate is something that people know to kind of expect and love on valentine's day and um if you're not familiar with brightly scouts it's actually our ambassador program you can that join. we have for brightly.eco you can join listeners if you're interested um we gather a group of like-minded change makers together we have a Slack channel where people are networking, they're finding new friends, they're finding, um, you know, partners for different projects and schools. Yeah. yeah, it's just so fun. And of course, yes, we, for in, in honor of, um, you know, participation, we give people access to free product and um, events, all sorts of fun things. So definitely check that out. Yeah, mentorship calls as well. So yeah, check it out. And But any, even if you're not uh, a scout member, give us a shout out. You can record a voice message and ask us questions. for you today about chocolate. Um, I know that many big chocolate companies like Hershey's and Mars and Cadbury have promised for close to 20 years now to end child labor and to be more sustainable in their practices and to make all of these positive changes, but really to no avail. Um, so I just think about that during holidays that are very consumerism driven, um, like Valentine's Day, where these companies make billions of dollars. And I know that our spending as consumers goes a long way, but with something like chocolate that feels like such a commodity in America, sometimes it feels like a losing battle. Um, so I guess my question is, what positive changes, if any, have these bigger chocolate companies made, either in their um, sustainability or in their just more humane practices, child labor, et cetera? Um, and other than where we choose to buy and how we choose to buy, what can consumers do to make positive changes, not just on Valentine's Day, but beyond when it comes to chocolate? about chocolate and specifically she was asking about um, our big corporations uh, who you know are very loud about um, their sustainability claims are they actually doing a good enough job and I don't like to be the downer here but <laughs> a lot of times I am they not quite not quite uh, Laura and this is um, this is what my research showed so uh, what happened actually in 2001 20 years ago the main chocolate producing companies Mars Nestle and Hershey they came together and they said we will stop uh, prevent child labor which is obviously the main issue of um, chocolate production we will uh, we will prevent child labor we'll stop it in that in our supply chains that was in 2001 
Unfortunately, as of today, it did not happen. About two thirds of the world uh, of the world's cho cocoa supply, right? That we're talking about chocolate is made from cocoa, of course. Yeah. Um, it comes from West Africa, Ivory Coast, uh, especially. Uh, according to 2015 USA, USA Labor Department report, more than two million children were engaged in dangerous labor in cocoa growing regions. Uh, that's that's um, crazy, and that like wasn't million. even that long ago, right? No, so, no. I so the, yeah. the project, when they said, okay, we will stop child labor from the uh, supply chain of uh, cocoa, uh, it was supposed to take four years. It still hasn't been accomplished. But what's even more staggering for me was, uh, listen to that, uh, Mars makers of M&M's and Milky Way um, can trace only 24% of its cocoa back to farms. Hershey, of course, we know what Hershey makes, uh, they can trace less than half, less than 50%. Nestle, I guess the record holder, 49% of its global uh, cocoa supply to farms it is traceable. And the interesting thing, Lisa, too, is there's a really great documentary on Netflix called Rotten. And each episode talks about different, um, you know, rotten things in the food mm. supply. Um, and so they do have a whole episode talking specifically about chocolate. And for me, what really um, stood out as a point to remember is exactly what you're talking about, which is there's such a lack of transparency in the supply chain yep. that the major um, chocolate companies, of course, are having pressure put on them from conscious consumers. So that's a great thing. That's a great but thing. the way that the industry itself is set up is really complex. It's got a lot of middlemen. Um, there's actually very little regulation at each part of the supply yeah. chain. And so that's really where, where the issues stem from, because it's just not possible with the way the current system is set up to accurately understand where those beans are coming from. Exactly. I mean, it's, I feel like it's an issue whether we're talking about, you know, uh, ethical, like clothing manufacturers, apparel, uh, we'll talk about jewelry, too, but it's like once you get out of the country, out of the U.S., you're getting into the developing uh, countries. Um, it's just you know you don't have as much control over what's happening there. And of course, these companies also have to deal with this economic forces that actually draw these children into hard labor. Uh, exactly. In the poorest region. So I actually um, so Ivory Coast is not too far. It's one of the neighboring countries of Ghana, and I have been to Ghana to Bogotanga, which is on the border in the northern border near Burkina Faso. Uh, there is um, organic and fair trade chocolate growing in Ghana, and we'll talk about it uh, in just a little bit. Um, but I actually had to listen in person, um, not children's stories, thankfully, but, uh, you know, grown men were telling me about their experience, how they went uh, in search of employment of jobs. They literally had to cross desert. They were going up, not for, into cocoa farms, but they were going, I think, to Libya. And People were dying, but this is how dire the situations are in these uh, countries. And it's hard, it's, it's extremely, extremely hard to regulate what's happening on the ground. So let's, uh, let's go into good news. The good news is there are fair trade brands. And the ultimate solution is, of course, for you is to buy fair trade uh, certified chocolates. And we have a few of our favorite brands. I mentioned cocoa producers in Ghana, Divine Chocolate. I have actually worked with this company before. I think their, their cooperative is actually farmers owned in Bogotanga. So oh, that's, that's great. You always love to hear those cooperative structures. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another brand, Equal Exchange, uh, Cho, 
TCHO, it's actually made in Auckland, uh, Alter Eco, and then there's also Endangered Species Chocolate, which is fair trade, sustainable, transparent, but also donates uh, part of the process to preserve wildlife. Yeah, and one other one I wanted to throw in there is called Tony's Chocolonely, and that's actually very featured prominently in that Netflix documentary, and um, they are very focused on the supply chain themselves, so they actually own as much as they possibly can of the supply chain, which is in a stark contrast to the rest of the producers who use third parties as part of the supply chain. So anyway, if you're interested, highly recommend checking out that documentary because it goes into crazy depth about the um, many systemic issues with chocolate. But you can make sure that you are buying fair trade, responsibly sourced things, even when you're thinking about baking too, right? Like when you're That's sourcing true. cocoa. So obviously all of these uh, companies, they also produce cocoa. Um, there's just pure cocoa. There is, you know, baking mixes. So check it out. And again, uh, the more you buy from these brands, the more you're sending the message to big corporations like Nestle, Myers and stuff like that, that you actually care about this. And, uh, you know, maybe in, hopefully not in 20 years in the next few years they will be able to trace most of their supply chains uh, but again they won't do it unless you vote with your dollars exactly okay um so let's say you're not a chocolate fan which who are you but i guess some of those people <laughs> exist. Shout out if you're yeah not. right like let us know if you're not a chocolate fan <laughs> i would love to talk to you but if you're if you're not a chocolate fan i think another thing that always comes up especially around Valentine's Day, is jewelry and gifting of jewelry. And I mean, honestly, spending $196 per person, it's probably not chocolate, right? It's yeah, that's right. That'd be a lot of chocolate if that was what you're <laughs> averaging. Um, but I think jewelry is something that we get asked about a lot. So we wanted to kind of think through what's what's going on. So right now, in general, the main issue with any type of jewelry that we're going to talk about comes back to the source of the metal, which is mining. Um, so whether we're talking about diamonds, gold, um, we talked a little bit about aluminum. I don't think aluminum is really used for jewelry, but it's often used for, um, you know, food packaging, like we talked about earlier. And Whenever we talk about mining of, of metals, there's always very dubious things going on with these supply chains. And I say always because it is always. We don't say that word very often here, but the yeah. more research I did into this, the more it was very clear that every single metal seemed to be affected. So anyway, let's think about diamonds first because, you know, Marilyn Monroe famously said that diamonds are a girl's best friend. But I think the issue here is the diamonds are not the planet's best friend. No. So you know, if we think about how a diamond is created over millions and millions of years, and the way we get the diamonds from the earth is usually in two different ways. So one, they are extracted through pipe mining. So they're miles, miles underground, and there are systems in place to get them out from that way. But the other way that people are probably a bit more familiar with is the hand artisan mining process that happens um, in riverbeds and the ocean floor. And so most of these diamonds are coming from Africa. I think we're all pretty familiar with the Blood Diamond movie um, that came out. Another shout 2000s. out to Leo. <laughs> she, Lisa is Leonardo DiCaprio's main fan. I actually went to his sports bar when I was in LA last and I thought she, Lisa was going to kill me doing that. I didn't see him though. <laughs> um, but anyway, so most of these diamonds are coming from Africa um, and you know, people are mining these um, in unregulated conditions. And so the, the latest estimate that we could find puts about 20% of diamonds in the overall market are coming from this um, sort of 
unregulated hand-driven mining process. Um, and of course, they're, you know, because this is unregulated, you know, everything is happening there. There's Child some instances, labor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Child labor, people laboring under duress, slave labor. Maybe there's some people who are being taken care of well. I'm sure that exists in some place too. Yeah. But for the most part, we know that it, it is not a good place, not a great thing for people to be doing. It's awful. And so, um, again, I think we all remember the, the various scenes in Blood Diamond that really kind of sit in our head. And actually, because of that movie and because of this increased conversation about the ethics of diamonds, millennials are actually buying less diamonds. And so this has been attributed to, you know, increased awareness. Of course, it's also talking about um, the increased awareness in um, just priorities. So, right, I talked a little bit about how my husband and I like to save up for experiences. Mm -hmm. um, that is, you know, a, a core piece of the way millennials spend. A lot of us um, are saving up for homes um, and are just not necessarily um, into buying these expensive things like our parents or previous generations were. Um, another thing I want to talk about was gold. Um, so gold is also mined under dubious practices. And when I, you know, started looking into it further, um, uh, something that I wasn't aware was uh, gold is actually mined from the earth by people. They actually treat um, treat it with mercury in many instances. And this actually helps um, you know, I'm not a scientist, but from what I understand, this actually helps people isolate gold um, from specific, you know, rocks and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So anyway, exposing it to mercury helps them get the gold out. Um, and when the mercury is done, um, it's actually released, you know, it gets put back into the environment. So we all know mm -hmm. that mercury is extremely toxic. Um, it's toxic to the people who are actually handling it. So, you know, we have unfortunately in issues where there's children mining, they're getting exposed to mercury, which yeah. is yeah. developmental issues. Um, it's leading to all sorts of issues in adults. And then finally, it's just getting put back into the environment. And so that's causing really negative impacts on the, the environment around where this gold mining is taking place. So that's, that's awful. I didn't really realized that, um, you know, I, so this was something that really stuck out to me. And, um, you know, I think we all think about mer mercury um, in, in the environment. We think about like eating fish and things like that. Mm. But who knew that no. you know, a large portion of the mercury that's getting into the environment is actually coming from gold. Um, so it's super interesting. So let's talk about what you can do, what the positive um, improvements are happening and what you can actually do. Um, so one thing. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about, you know, just, okay, so if you want to buy uh, diamonds or, you know, your loved ones are buying diamonds for you, like I actually experienced this. Uh, my husband gave me this ring recently, even though, again, I'm also not a jewelry person. And yeah. um, the first thing I did, I was like, okay, and he knows, he knows that, you know, it's important for me to know where the diamonds are coming from. Um, so he bought it from this company called Blue, uh, Blue Nile. And what they have on their uh, website, on their, uh, their, their ethical sourcing page, I talk about something called Kimberly Process, which yep. tracks diamonds from mine to market, uh, which the industry developed uh, with uh, with United Nations and governments. Yep. Uh, also, interestingly enough, in 2003, Congress and President Bush passed a law adopting Kimberly uh, Process in the U.S., which requires all U.S. diamond retailers to basically track uh, their manufacturers um, and also U.S. Customs Service actively enforces Kimberly Process. So. That's good news, but again, 
I, it, it doesn't make me feel 100% sure that, you know, I definitely know that, it, again, the diamonds were um, ethically sourced. So uh, you yep. have some interesting technological things that uh, brands and companies and governments are developing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think they even talk about the Kimberly process in um, Blood Diamond. And there, I, if I remember correctly, I think there was some kind of faking of a certificate and things like that. So I mean, anything yeah. that's going to be not easily traceable, it's it's easily, um, you know, It's uh, just a paper, faked, you know, you can, right? you can make it up. Or, yeah. yeah. Now, on the other hand, if you're familiar with blockchain, we've all heard all of the craziness of Bitcoin and everything like that. I personally am very interested in, in blockchain technology, specifically as it relates to helping people trace supply chains. And so the idea behind that is at each level of the process, there is going to be a way for the, um, you know, the, the creator, the owner of that step of the process to verify what they're doing and do it in an unbiased way through blockchain. That's the goal. IBM actually is partnering with De Beers, one of the largest diamond yeah. um, holding corporations, um, to come up with this blockchain technology. So that's super. That's super exciting. Um, so that's that's some interesting innovations in the supply chain perspective. But what about if you are not into actually supporting this at all? Like, what if you don't want to have a diamond that's pulled out of the earth? Like, what are your options, Lisa? The option is this. I have this option. Um, and shout out to our partner, um, Diamond Nexus. It's a company that actually grows diamonds in a lab. And they can be actually 30 to 40% um, cheaper than mined uh, diamonds. There's a Basically, lot of companies out there too, right? Exactly. So many companies. Brilliant Earth is another one. Um, yeah, Brilliant Earth companies. is another one. Yeah. So yeah, the, you have options now. And again, that looks like the real thing. I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously not a diamond expert, but I, I don't think anybody would be able to, you know, to tell if that's an actual diamond or not. Well, and one of the exciting pieces that we can contribute to is cultural shifts. So I think like our parents, even if the technology for lab-grown diamonds existed, there was kind of this mystique and like, you know, luxury about having these artisan diamonds, if you will. Um, you know, yeah. you think about like cubic zirconia, remember how everybody thought how bad that was, you know, and, and for all intents and purposes, they look really similar to diamonds. But if we can say, um, we actually do care where these come from, we don't care that they are, um, you know, not quote unquote artisanal, because we know artisanal isn't good. Um, we can say, we as consumers love lab-created diamonds. Let's do it. I actually found a statistic that said as much as we're trying to get this cultural shift to happen, the market is still really small. So lab-grown diamonds actually still only make up about 1% of the $80 billion global business for rough diamonds. $80 billion, wow. Yep. But now, yeah, I mean, more you can tell. Yeah, you can tell it's still a very, very yep. Yeah. And then Stanley also said that they think that that's going to rise. They think it'll go up from 1% to about 8% by mm -hmm. 2020. So that's exciting. And so if you're not into diamonds, let's talk about a little bit about some fun things that I personally have done. So one thing is you can buy recycled gold. And there's actually been quite a few sustainable brands um, popping up who are using gold from recycled sources to create new jewelry. I think that's something where, you know, you can easily uh, find that um, just by searching for recycled gold jewelry. Another thing is you can, you can also buy secondhand jewelry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's plenty. Think about like grandma's hoarding their, um, <laughs> their collection of beautiful jewels. I mean, a lot of that either ends up in the hands of family members or people who need to sell it. 
And so actually my mother received this pretty diamond and gold ring as a family heirloom. And she, you know, rather than looking at it and, and saying, you know what, this isn't something I like to wear. Um, I'm just going to kind of put it in my jewelry box and never wear it. My mom actually took it into a jeweler and recycled the gold from the, um, you know, the, the surrounding fitting yeah. and had them actually refashion it into a new piece of jewelry. So yeah. that's the last tip we want to leave you with is like, if you happen to come across um, a family heirloom piece of jewelry, rather than looking at that and saying, okay, let me put that in my jewelry box to wear when I go to like a ball or something, which like no one ever does. Why don't you think about remixing that piece of jewelry and wearing it every day? Yep. Yep. That's a great one. Hey, Lisa, your ring is looking particularly sparkly today. And I've got jewelry on the mind with Valentine's Day coming up. Where did you get it? Yeah, I love rose gold. And I got my ring from Diamond Nexus, the creators of the Nexus Diamond Alternative. I actually discovered them over two years ago when they featured a bunch of my social impact heroes on a changemaker campaign they were running. And I was thrilled when they reached out to sponsor this episode. It's honestly been challenging for me to reconcile my love of diamonds with the fact that they're not always from ethical sources. So I love that we found a great way to wear gorgeous jewelry without the guilt. Absolutely. I get compliments on my rings all the time. And the best thing is they're really affordable. Diamond Nexus alternatives cost up to 80% less than the mine diamonds. That's awesome to know. So if you're looking for an affordable, ethical piece of jewelry, we've got you covered. Good Together listeners can get an additional 5% off their purchase, even the pieces on sale, with code GOOD5 at diamondnexus.com slash goodtogether. All right, well, let's talk about flowers. That's that's definitely my favorite thing. And um, while researching this topic, uh, we realized that flowers are also not that great for the environment, but we have, again, we have actionable, simple tips that you can just use when you're thinking about buying flowers and what you can do to reduce environmental impact if you're buying flowers. Yeah, and everyone loves flowers. We, we found this really interesting fact that was like, I mean, obviously... People have been cultivating flowers for over 5,000 years, which is already speaking to the fact that this is just a beloved item of affection for basically since humans have been around. (laughs) Um, And the other thing is there have been studies that show that giving flowers to both men and women elicits a positive response in your brain. Um, and, you know, really can create an uplifting feeling for, for you. Um, and I you hope know, when my they, husband is listening. Right? I know, right? I always, I'm always after my husband to get me more flowers, but maybe yeah. I shouldn't be. So let's, you know, yeah. I, we, we want to talk about maybe why not. Um, and the, the only other thing I want to throw in there is think about how much flowers, uh, what, a, what a role flowers play in events, like monumental events. Yep. So That's weddings, cool. funerals, um, all sorts of things. And so Bulls, when I got yeah. married, I was obsessed with the flowers at my um, at my wedding. That was like my one of the main things I wanted to to really ensure looked great. So yeah, let's maybe talk about like why the current way that we consume flowers isn't the best thing, and other positive ways we can help. 
Yeah. So yeah, the floral gifting market is expected to reach $16 billion in revenue by 2023. Um, and so because of that, you know, buying flowers from eco-friendly operations can have a really big impact. And also according to another estimate, um, the roughly a hundred million roses that are grown each year for Valentine's day in the U S alone, produce about 9,000 metric tons of carbon emissions. So that is huge. Like the flower industry has huge impacts on water usage, pollution, land degradation, and then like fossil fuel uh, transportation. Yeah, I actually, yeah. So that's 100 million roses, how much pollution they provide. But I I had, I saw a different statistic that actually 189 million, that's how many roses we buy just on Valentine's Day alone. Wow. So that's even more. Yeah, that's crazy. It looks pretty, but you know, yeah, things to think about there too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the, the other thing we want to talk about is the human cost of flowers. So we, you know, we just talked for a long time about supply chains. We won't get into that as much, but as you can imagine, um, the supply chain in operations that are not ethical are going to be forcing, um, you know, workers into situations they don't want to be in. Like, Lisa, I think you found something about like uh, retail workers as well. Yeah. I mean, not retail workers, but again, on the farm, on the farmer side. Oh, okay. I think the the key factor is the skyrocketing demand around key holidays, like Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, because, you know, the the demand is pretty predictable during the the rest of the year, but uh, it's almost, it's, it's unsustainable, unsustainably high to, you know, 189 million roses alone just for one day. So even uh, there are fair trade factories, uh, farm uh, factories, farms that I will talk about that. But um, but even they have compulsory overtime, excessive hours. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's just unsustainable demand, and and this is the reality yeah. of key holidays like that. So like we discovered, um, you know, it's probably not a big surprise. I think when you go into the Costco or flower shop and you see the little like Rainforest Alliance certification, um, that's a good one to look out for, which we'll talk about in a second. But even that, when I remember when I saw that, that for me as a consumer is kind of like this light bulb turned on my head and like, oh, wait a second, like why are these are these flowers coming from the rainforest i'm thinking to myself well of course they're not but they're probably coming from areas adjacent to the rainforest areas that are not like in our backyard these flowers that we're purchasing are not coming from the United States. Like that's yeah. kind of what we want to get. In your I head. took a I took a screenshot of the flower label that I got from Whole Foods, and that's Rainforest Alliance, and that's Alstromerias, uh, my favorite flowers. They they are made in Colombia, and yeah, like, there okay. is another example of uh, of a rose farm in Kenya. Um, so yeah, again, unfortunately, developing countries, right? Because you know, because that's how it is in, in many of these industries. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when you're out shopping for flower, flowers, you can look for certifications, right, Lisa? Yep. Yeah. Certifications. There are fair trade roses, uh, fair trade certified. There is a Rainforest Alliance. But again, uh, as just mentioned before, I mean, it's if you have to buy flowers, absolutely, please look out for the certifications. It will give you kind of a sense that, okay, like this is a better, uh, these flowers were grown in better conditions, people were treated better, but there's still, even with certifications, there's still uh, some questions and, uh, and, and it's not perfect. Um, you so, know, one thing, mm-hmm. one thing that I've um, seen some, some of the newer floral companies do that I really appreciate mm-hmm. is they will not stock 
certain flowers when it's off season. So yep. I think like people who have planned yeah. weddings are probably familiar with this where like there are certain flowers that you literally just can't get when they're not in season because it's like not possible to grow them. Um, but the thing that I like some of these other um, folks doing is, is saying, look, like, you know, we're not stocking this because in order for us to get the specific flower, it's just really, really unsustainable for us to fly them in from this far away. So I think, you know, the more that you can support um, florists that are having a mind's eye to this and are um, making sure that they're they're getting their flowers from the right supply chains, I think is huge. Another thing you can do when you go to the florist, and they often have these now, you can give potted flowers. Like I love to get a good potted flower. My husband, when he proposed, he actually gave me a potted flower. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Was so, it was so funny though. I was like, wait, what? Because like he didn't even put it was like in one of those terracotta pots. I don't know. Like I, anyway, we got to talk to him about that. Maybe didn't get the presentation points on that, but I was still excited. It's so funny. And again, it will last <laughs> like, you so much longer, right? And yeah. Again, and like oxygen into your apartment and into the air. It's like win, win, win. Exactly. And the other thing is um, I'm a huge fan of succulents and like mm -hmm. cacti. And so those types of um, flowers, I mean, sorry, those types of plants are really are exciting. And of course, there's a lot of great um, direct to consumer plant companies now. Um, Bloomscape is one that I love. The Sill. Yeah. yeah, the Sill is good. There's quite a few out there. Um, and, you know, Bloomscape is really interesting. That's like a, um, it's a newer company. The founder's named Justin and his family was actually um, florist for many, many generations, which I think is kind of cool. So anyway, oh, that's cool. kind of a fun one. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I mean, look, look for potted plants, see if that's something, um, even if you don't have a green thumb or the person you're giving it to doesn't have a green thumb. So for me, in terms of uh, flowers, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to Alstroemeria. The, you will find it in all Whole Foods and in many flower shops, but it's like if you absolutely have to get the, um, the, um, the actual flower, not a potted plant, Alstroemeria is actually is one of those uh, flowers they literally last i have actually it's right in the other room a big bouquet i think it's been standing there for two weeks at least sometimes it lasts up to three weeks so uh i don't i don't know any other flowers that are lost uh last that long um and also yep. yeah and you can also i've bought australia's before in a pot and uh until it got rained on outside uh, not a good plant mother i am but um it was i think i had it all for over a year and they just like flower year round i mean at least here in california um, yeah. And I, I think that's a great, great point, Lisa. Like if you're going to get someone flowers, maybe find one that'll, uh, a variety that'll last a long time, yeah. or mm -hmm. you can also look for varieties that dry really well. Um, there's yes. these other, um, yellow one. types called there. Well, they're colloquially, they're called like Billy balls, which are funny. Um, but they were very popular in weddings, um, you know, a few years ago, but those things dry out really nicely. So when I see those at Whole Foods, I like to pick up a bunch of those and actually I, I dry them immediately and I've got them sitting in my, um, in my home. And like, there's some interesting dried floral arrangements out there too. So maybe that, that's a good thing too. Um, you know, so yeah, if you're going to buy something, think about it, be, be conscious. Um, and you know, also if you're hosting an event, like we talked about earlier, a wedding, a funeral, et cetera, why don't you try donating your flowers when the event's over? There's actually quite a few companies that have sprung up. Um, a few that we saw were, one was called repeat roses. There's quite a few out there that actually will come and take the arrangements from yeah. your event and then donate them. So like, yeah. how cool is that? I mean, that's another option, but also just 
consider gifting it to guests, right? I, I don't remember yeah. which event I was at, but yeah, it's like so nice. You know, uh, like just like keep the positivity and joy spreading through just like gifting the, the donation, uh, or donating. Donating yeah. is worth it, especially to charities in need. That's, uh, that's a great yeah. one. Yeah, and I, I think that the final tip that we have is to just have fun with us. I mean, we we talk about a lot of things that are sometimes Debbie Downer topics. And it, we do this because we want you to be informed and understand like what's going on. I think we've all been sold a bill of goods by various companies, but have fun with it. Maybe let your partner know why you're giving them a potted plant um, and just, yeah, just, just enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. It's important to be informed and just like, like nobody's perfect. Obviously, um, I, I will still buy my Ulstrom areas um, if I can't find the potted one. But I think just shifting our perspective and uh, being informed like helps a lot. You know, it adds up. Small steps and actions add, add up. And uh, we thank you guys so much for uh, listening and, you know, taking the steps to make a more positive, environmentally friendly future. Yeah, thanks so much, Lisa. This was another great conversation. Yeah, exactly. See you next time. joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And we're now live on YouTube. Just search for Good Together Podcast to get the video recording of this episode and more. While you're visiting, don't forget to join in on the conversation by leaving us a question through voicemail or giving us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the social channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.